Why would anyone want to go to Scottsboro, Alabama? That's right. That's what my wife said. Um, uh, why would anyone want to go to uh, uh, Leaper's Fork? Like, you could pass it without you in a blinking, right? Like, it's just, you know, unless you're going there because you have some misguided desire for some weird antique stuff or uh, you, you, you love some, uh, some country fried steak, right? That's what, that's what they have, right? That's it. But, like, otherwise, it, it's just completely out of the way. It's not even on the way to anywhere. There's this, this, this other town in Alabama called Op. Is that right? Anyone ever heard of Op, Alabama? Can anyone think of a reason to go to Op, Alabama? No, I didn't think so. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's just that place you pass through. This had to be the, the question the disciples were asking when Jesus steered the 12 and the crowd toward the city of Nain. Nain is nowhere. Nain is not even on the way to somewhere. Nain is this little backwatered one, they don't even have, they have a stoplight, but it doesn't even work kind of town. And when Jesus heads the 12 in the direction of Nain with crowds following, when they head in this direction, they had to be asking, why in the world? Are we going to Nain? Long before they reach the city gates, they are greeted with the sounds of mourning. Long before they cross the threshold, they hear weeping and wailing. And as they enter the city, right at the moment as Jesus and crowds and disciples enter, they encounter a funeral procession on the way out. A young man has died, a widow's one and only son. Does that language sound familiar? It doesn't just mean their only son, but it means a special one, a unique one. A widow's only one and only son has died. And generally, like for a funeral, they would, they, it was their tradition, it was their custom to hire professional mourners, per, people especially trained to weep and to wail and to cry. And the, and the louder you cried, the, the more loved the person was. But in this case, that seems unnecessary because it's just a boy. And uh, he must have been well-loved because it, it seems like the whole big city of Nain knew this young man and they've turned out for his funeral. Anytime the young die, it's a, it's a tragedy, but it's especially painful for this boy's mother, because as a widow without husband and now without son in that culture, she would have, she would have been completely alone. She wouldn't have had a name or, or a way to care for herself, not, not, even a, not even a property or a place to live. She would have been totally out. Her future, her hope was all gone. And as this widow of Nain walks beside her son's lifeless body on the funeral byre, she had to be thinking, my life is over. In Luke chapter 7, verse 13, at this great intersection of Jesus and this funeral procession, it says, when the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with, what's the word? Compassion. 
and tells her, don't cry. Don't cry. And then look in verses 14 and 15 as we pick up this story. Then he walked over to the coffin or, or a funeral buyer. And he lays his hands on it, which would have made him ceremonially unclean. But as soon as he touched it, the bearer stopped. And he speaks to the lifeless boy and says, young man, I tell you, get up. And what happened? Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. And the sounds of the crowd began to change. I don't know that there was instant celebration and laughter, but it was probably that, that weird sound of like when shock and awe hits you at that same time. You know what I'm talking about? That, <gasps> that sound Everything changed at that moment. And as Jesus gives the boy back to her mother, to his, to his mother, she went from feeling like her life was over, from having no future, from having no hope, to having life again. Jarius in uh, Luke chapter 8 is a is the leader of basically what is a would would be like a small local church for us today. But today he he's not the preacher or pastor or minister for this church. Today he 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 is just a father. And the scene is urgent. Weeping Jarius throws himself at the feet of Jesus and and he's pleading for Jesus to come to his home because Jarius here's that language again one and only his special one, his 12-year-old daughter is sick. But she's not just sick, she's critical. She's in intensive care and she clings to life by a thread. She is dying. Jesus moves into action and, and, and steers the ship to go towards her, to go towards this girl, to go towards Jairus' house. But if you know the story, Jesus is overwhelmed suddenly by the needs of others. And, and uh, there's another woman suffering who, who craves the same thing from Jesus that everyone craves. And the woman touches his cloak and Jesus begets, gets distracted. His, his attention turns to help those around him. And while he's paying attention to this crowd of people around him, word comes from Jairus' home. And the face of the messenger says it all. In Luke chapter 8, verse 49, it says, the messenger shows up and says, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. The message says, don't waste your time. It's finished. It's too late. There's no use. But Jesus continues. He keeps going towards Jairus' house, and once again, before they even come inside of the house, they are, greeting again, they are greeted again with the sounds of mourning and weeping and wailing. These are the same sounds that have probably consumed Jairus along the way, if you could imagine and Jesus tries to assure them that the girl was only sleeping, but they laughed at him and said, no, you know, maybe, maybe we don't know a lot, but we know that she's dead. There's no use 
And in Luke chapter 8, verses 54 and 55, here's the scene. Then Jesus took the precious 12-year-old girl, the one and only, Jairus' one and only daughter, by the hand and said in a loud voice, My child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned. And she immediately stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. There was no use. But Jesus gave Jairus' daughter her life back. Again, Jesus receives an urgent message in John chapter 11. It's a message from some friends of his, Mary and Martha. And the message is about Lazarus. It's, it's their brother. It, it's a similar message. The message says that he is gravely ill. He's just barely hanging on. He's in ICU. He's in critical condition. And the message says in bold letters, come quickly. He won't last long. Jesus, however, is in no hurry. And though he loves Martha and Mary, and, and though he loves Lazarus, he lingers where he's at painfully for two days. And once again, as Jesus gets underway and he crosses the threshold of Bethany, Lazarus' hometown, where his home is, he is greeted by what has become an all-too-familiar sound. It's the sound of weeping, wailing, the sound of a funeral, the sound of mourning. Lazarus is dead, and he's not just dead. Lazarus is dead and buried. Scripture says that he has been in the grave for four days by the time Jesus gets there. And in John chapter 11, verse 21, Martha confronts Jesus. <laughs> Can you imagine this scene? Martha says, Lord, if only you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Do you get the, all the emotion and the feeling in that statement? If only you, if you would have only got here just sooner, any... If you could have just come sooner, because now you're here and that's great, but it's too late. And in John chapter 11, verse 23, Jesus tells her, your brother will rise again. And Jesus is taken to Lazarus' tomb. And he commands that the stone will be rolled away. This is some foreshadowing. <laughs> and the people are hesitant because um, Lazarus has already been in there four days. The crowds are hesitant because by this time the body of Lazarus is, has surely be begun to decompose. Surely by this time the, the tomb has become filled with some unpleasant odors. And Jesus says, roll the, tomb, roll the stone away. And the crowd says, oh, Jesus, don't you know it's too late? And in John chapter 11, verses 43 and 44, Jesus just shouts, Lazarus, come out. 
and the dead man came out. His hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth, and Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Do you hear our, some similar themes in these stories? My life is over. There's no use. It's too late. On Easter, it's right and good to remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that, that after a, a horrible miscarriage of justice, after enduring unimaginable pain and torture, after three days, the tomb is found empty. Amen? This is where you guys say amen. The tomb is found empty. Amen. 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 Jesus is arisen. Jesus, the one and only Son, that language sound familiar? The one and only Son of God has been resurrected from the grave. And it is awesome that we celebrate that Jesus has been resurrected, but there's more to this story. That's not all. Jesus says it to, to Martha after she confronts him. Remember, Martha approaches Jesus about Lazarus and says, oh, it's, it's too late if you would have just been here. Jesus clues us into something important to know about the resurrection in John chapter 11, verse 25. Look what Jesus told her. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, and, who, and anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Resurrection literally means to, to rise up again, to, to stand up again, to go from lying to, to standing again. And not only did Jesus rise up again, he says, I am Mr. Rise up again. I am Mr. Stand up again. Not only was Jesus himself personally resurrected, he is the resurrection. And that's an important distinction for us. It's important because our, our world, our culture, has, has an incredibly skewed view about the nature and gravity of our sin. You tell me, is sin really that bad? You know, everyone does it. Is it really that bad? Here's what Scripture says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. It says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But if you fast forward even further, it says in Romans chapter 6, verse, 20, verse 23, it says the wages of sin is, what's that word? Death. For, for the sin that you've committed and we've all committed, not I haven't committed more or less than you have. We've all sinned. All men has fallen short of the glory of God. And for our sin, our payment, what we deserve, what we get in return for all of our sin is what? In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, once you were hmm, just kind of not having a great day. Once you were really sick, once you were blank because of your many sins, what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, once you were dead because of your many sins, 
we aren't just hanging in there. And I, and I know maybe that's what it feels like. But the true depth, the true nature, the, the true consequence, the urgency of sin is that it, sin is lethal. Think hard about that. Sin is lethal. I think if you really stop for just a moment, think about your sin, think about the times you've committed a sin, think about the times that you've created distance between yourself and God. You know the truth, right? That sin isn't just uncomfortable. It isn't just us having a bad day. Sin isn't just this, this kind of sickness, like we'll get over it. Oh, sin is lethal. And if we've all sinned, and the wages of sin is death, then we, like the widow's son, like Jairus' daughter, like Lazarus, we aren't just headed to the grave. We are dead because of our sins. When Jesus entered the grave that day, this is so important, when he entered the grave that day, he didn't go to save himself. He went there because that is where we were. You see that? grave is where dead people are. And as a result of our sin, we were dead and buried. Is it really any wonder that churches around the world are, are filled to the brim on this day? I love it. I, I think it's awesome. Uh, on this special day, more than any other Sunday, um, because deep down, some, somehow we know, but, but on this day, more than any other day, churches are filled um, because it, it is not a day for saints. But this day is recognized among churches in our whole world more than any other as a day for the sinner. This is a day for the dead and buried. Everyone who has broken the trust of a friend or, or struggled with, with body image. For everyone that's, that's cheated on their, on their spouse or, or their marriage is crumbling. For, for everyone that's, that's in that fight with, with addiction or, or struggling with some sort of, of sexual identity. For everyone that's feeling lost or lonely or depressed. Those of us who have lost our faith. Those of us who are, it's been a long time since we've crossed the doors of a church. Maybe those of us that don't even have a faith anymore. For everyone who, like the widow of Nain, has said, my life is over. For everyone, like Jarius, who has thought, who has looked at the sequence of events in their life and thought, you know, really, there's just, there's no use. For everyone who, like Mary and Martha, has felt that their cause is a lost one, 
that frankly, it's, you know, really it's just too late for me. For the long shots, for the hopeless and the helpless, for those who have thrown in the towel, for the lost causes, for every sinner, Easter says, it's not too late. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, it says, But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were, what's the word? Even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ. Mr. Come Back, Mr. Rise Up, Mr. Stand Up Again, Mr. Resurrection came to raise us from the dead. He came to offer us a whole new life. When he arose, Mr. Resurrection, the one who is in charge of all resurrections, the one who brings all back to life, when he rose, so do we all. In just a few minutes, we're going to enter into a time of communion to remember his death, his burial, but, but most importantly, his resurrection. And set it at, setting out at three stations around our room are the elements of communion. The blood, the, the, the wine, the grape juice that represents his blood poured out for us. The cracker that uh, represents his blood broken, his, his body broken for us. It is for us to remember that he entered death so that we might live. What Jesus did for the widow, what Jesus did for Jairus, what Jesus did for Jairus' daughter, what Jesus did for Lazarus, he does for us. Are you a lost cause? Is it too late for you? Is your life over? Let me introduce you to the one who is the resurrection. May you this morning give yourself to him. Invite you as we enter in this time of communion to repent of your sins, to proclaim that Jesus is Lord of your life. Maybe you're ready to give yourself to him in baptism. And may you receive the forgiveness of sins, the gift of new life that he freely offers. In John 14, 19, it simply says, Jesus simply says, since I live, you also will live. Will you pray with me? Father God, we come before you today and remember that your son, Jesus Christ, was resurrected after a painful, ugly uh, tragedy of, of justice totally unfair and unwarranted. He gave his life for us. 
And after three days in the grave, we know that you resurrected him. Father God, help us to remember that as he entered that grave, he went there for us. He didn't go to that place for himself. But because of us, because of our sin, we have created this incredible divide between ourselves and you. A divide, a, a distance that, that you have been trying to cover, a distance that you've been trying to fill and with the sacrifice of your own son, Jesus, all that has separated us from you has now been removed. Death itself has been vanquished. Because of your son, Jesus Christ, we sinners have received new life. So Father God, we come before you today in this time of communion and uh, uh, we, we offer you our lost selves. <laughs> we come to you as, as men and women, as individuals who have been under the rule of sin for far too long. We, we have felt for far too long that our lives are over, that it's, uh, that literally there's just no use for us. We've gone so far, so deep away from you, Father God, that we've, we've thought, you know, it's just too late. And Father God, whatever is keeping us, whatever kind of guilt, whatever kind of shame, whatever kind of, if you only knew what I've done, whatever that is, Father God, as we approach this table of grace and forgiveness, help us to lay that down in what ways we can open our hearts to lay before you everything that keeps us from you and embrace again your free gift of grace, life, and forgiveness. Father God, we love you so much. And in your son Jesus' name, everyone together says,